0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Ask this morning, you will send the Holy Spirit into our midst. Pray that it will move upon our hearts and that the message as we receive from your word will be one that uh, changes the way we react to one another. In Jesus' name, amen. In Matthew 18, verse 15, we read these words. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother. Conflict, disagreement, provides an opportunity many times to to, uh, demonstrate the love of Christ and to give witness to the gospel. There are many offenses that can be simply overlooked, and they should be overlooked. There are some that are harmful and should not be overlooked. Rather, they must be talked about. So today we're going to talk about guidelines that we find in the scripture, when and how you talk to a person privately, or perhaps you include another person about his or her contribution to the conflict. Going back to our original text, in its context, this verse does not mean that you need to be constantly telling people their faults, that you need to be constantly addressing with your brother what he or she is doing wrong. Just before the verse that we read in Matthew 18, Jesus actually is speaking about the loving shepherd who goes to look for the wandering sheep. And I think that's where Kenrick chose his song from when I told him what we'd be speaking about. The theme of Jesus' message is restoration, not condemnation. Restoration, not condemnation. Actually, if a person is seeking to condemn, probably that's not the person to go to the other person and bring their fault to light. Jesus uses a contrast in Matthew 18. In Matthew 18, he tells a story. I don't know why, but this particular this particular story of Jesus impacts me as much or more than any of the story that Jesus told. He talks about in Matthew eighteen the idea that, and I'll read you I'll read you the words. He says that um, Peter said to the Lord. How many times could my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Seven was considered a great deal of sympathy and uh, long-suffering among the Jewish peoples. To forgive seven times was to go to the extent That a person should forgive. And Jesus says no. I tell you he says. Not seven times. Seventy times seven. This particular message is so deep. Seventy times seven is four hundred and ninety. And if you're a Seventh-day Adventist. Immediately the prophecy of Jesus long suffering with Israel. Four hundred and ninety years comes to your mind. And so Jesus wasn't telling something that he himself had not been doing. At any rate, as the story goes on, a man is brought a slave before his owner, and he is told of his fault. And basically, the master of that particular slave... um, has brought him into account because he owes 10,000 talents. I've read in different versions how much that is. In some translations, it talks about it as a million dollars. At any rate, as he brings him in, the master says, we're going to sell your wife, your children, everything that you have, and pay the debt. And of course, the response is that the slave falls down. He is so, so bent on changing his master's mind that the master is touched. And the master forgives him the debt of 10,000 talents. This slave goes out and there is a person who the Bible says, depending on your translation, owes a fraction of that. 100 denarii. And this slave who has been forgiven this enormous amount of indebtedness goes to the one who owes him a fraction of what he had owed to his master. And again, depending on your translation, he says that he grabbed him, started choking him and said, Pay what you owe. And you'll remember the story. The fellow slave fell down, did the same thing that he had done, actually, with his own master. Be patient with me, I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing, the Bible says. On the contrary, he had the man thrown in prison until he could pay, or that would mean his family could pay, that which was owed. When the master heard, He called the forgiven slave to him. And these are the words from this translation. You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And his master got angry and handed him over to the jailers. Until he could pay everything that was owed. This is the part. This is the punchline. So my heavenly father will also do to you. If each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. When I say that one makes a huge impression on me. It's that as I think in terms of what Jesus has done for me. As I think in terms of his forgiveness of all the things that I have done that I know are displeasing to him. Of the mistakes possibly, of also those things of intent, Jesus has forgiven all of us to the extent that the one master forgave the slave. An unbelievable indebtedness, Jesus has paid for us at great price, at great price. And so when it comes to forgiving someone who has wronged me, I remember the words where Jesus says that the Heavenly Father will do to each of you who does not forgive his brother from his heart what the... Slaves master did to him when he had not forgiven the person who owed him a small amount. Jesus wants us to seek our brothers and our sisters. He wants us to restore them through the years of ministry. Many, many times I have seen situations where brothers and sisters became at odds with each other. And one or the other left. And too often, it's been good riddance. Good riddance of that person who was a thorn in the side. It's not Jesus' way. It is not his way. We are urged to help. We are urged to save. We are urged to forgive those who are actually caught in sin. The Bible states that there are many ways that this can be done. Confessing, of course, our wrongs is one. Reasoning is another. Warning, restoring, encouraging, correcting, admonishing, instructing before finally rebuking. I'm afraid too often that we immediately go to the con- the rebuking. In the process, the word confront is used very, very little in the process of talking to another person. We're not supposed to confront them. We're supposed to go to them in love. According to the scripture, the Christian is warned against letting disagreement deteriorate into quarreling and arguing or foolish controversies continuing. It gives many examples of how we should approach our brother or our sister when they have committed something that is wrong. Remember the woman at the well? Everybody's heard the story of the woman at the well. It's a beautiful story. This woman comes and she begins to talk with Jesus. At first, she's very hesitant. And when Jesus approaches her, This woman who has been married many times and she's now living with someone who she's not married to. Notice the gentleness with which Jesus approaches that woman. He moved so gradually into making his point and telling her about the good news that she was so excited she ran and told her friends In town, about this person she had met who knew everything she had done and told her, but she doesn't say he was mean to her. Instead, she wants them to meet the master who has dealt with her so gently. Remember the story of Esther? Of course you do. Esther had an enormous thing to deal with. Her fellow Jewish family, friends, were going to be slain because of an angry person who was carrying out a grudge. It took two days and two feasts, and one of those feasts included Haman before finally she approached the king about her people. We always need to approach God before we approach a brother or a sister. Our feelings, our emotions, sometimes take over. We need to pray for discernment. We need to pray for wisdom. We ask God for the most effective plan in approaching our brother or sister, and always our goal should be restoration. If it's not restoration, it's not time to go. It's not time to go. Remember Jacob and Esau? Actually, if you read that story, you do find, if you look at it from the standpoint of being fair, Jacob had taken advantage, had he not? He had been deceitful, had he not? Now he's coming back and he's very fearful that Esau is going to take out his revenge. And so, do you remember, as you read those gifts that he sent to his brother Esau before he ever got there, he was so afraid that he left his family behind so that if Esau were truly angry enough to slay him, he wouldn't hurt his family. And so, as he approaches him, he approaches him by sending ahead Many, many gifts of animals in those days that was wealth. Esau Esau, and Jacob are an example of what we should do. The Bible says if you go to the altar and you find there that your brother has ought against you, then it becomes your responsibility to go to the brother who has wronged you. You don't just wait on him because he's the one who started this whole mess. It is given to God's people that we would be the initiators of peace. I think one of the most beautiful stories, in fact, we're told that the critics of the Bible find this to be a literary, top notch story, the one of Joseph. Remember this? Joseph was, if ever there was a person mistreated, He was mistreated. He was thrown into the pit. He was sold to the Ishmaelites, etc., etc. But when he recognized his brothers, after years, even though God had blessed him very much, and now he's in charge, we're told that he was moved to tears. And he took great time to figure out a way To approach his brothers, don't you remember? He hid, first of all, the silver cup in Benjamin's bag of grain. He went to find out, were they jealous of Benjamin? Like they were jealous of him? And had they mistreated him, of course, in the end, he won them all. And because of Joseph and his forgiving spirit, the land of Goshen protected all of his people Until the time the famine had passed. Remember Abigail? Abigail, who came between her husband and the king, enraged David, would have slain her husband. Joab approached David to soften his heart against Absalom, his son who had become estranged. Let me just offer a few things that we get from Scripture by way of approaching people when they have wronged us. One is, and today this is more important than ever it has been in our history. When I go to our churches today, I see multicultural audiences And there are churches who have looked at the background of their congregation, and in the bulletin I've actually seen where there are 42 countries represented today. With the difference in countries where people are born and raised, there are differences in culture and differences in how things are seen. One of the things that we need to be cognizant of today are cultural customs. We can say something to a person who might be a a long-time generation after generation uh, person who has been born in America. And uh, we might at the same time look at a person who has been born and one of the islands, Jamaica. I have a lot of Jamaican friends from the past in my ministry, and I was interested to find out that customs are different. And there were times when I had to realize that the sensitivity of those people was much greater than the sensitivity of my particular generations. And I had to respect once I learned I had to respect those customs. Had to treat those people with the kind of love that I feel Jesus had treated me. It may be that going to a person um, who has wronged you means that you might have to be the one who takes the responsibility. It just might be. It might be that with your respect for dealing with one of God's children, I had an experience which will forever stay in my mind. I went to visit a man in our church who was a husband of one of the ladies in our church. This man was a rough man. He drank a lot. He was not a man who had the kind of, Uh, attitude that you expect out of a, a Christian. And he was given, of course, to a foul mouth. He was just, in general, someone that the church pitied this poor woman for having to live with. Well, anyway, he had done something. I don't remember what. And I went to jail to see him. When I went in and I began to talk with him, He wasn't warm, but I could tell he wasn't turned off that I was there. But I saw him as nervous. Always, when I have visited with people, I pray with them before I leave. And so, I was about to bring this meeting to a close and pray with this man. And it was as though the Holy Spirit said, no. I thought, I'm sure I'm supposed to pray. No! I literally stood there for a while and I struggled. And finally it was so real. I simply bade him goodbye. Several years passed. He came to an evangelistic series and he gave his heart to the Lord. It was broken. And he became a new man. He came to me and he said, I want to thank you for something you probably don't even realize that you did. And I said, what is that? He says, when you came to visit me in jail, he says, every prisoner makes fun of people whose preacher comes to visit him. And he said, I was so afraid you were going to pray with me. He says, I know that sounds terrible now, but he says, the last thing I wanted to do to be seen as, was a holy man with a preacher there praying with me. And I didn't want you to pray, and you didn't. I said, it wasn't me. The Holy Spirit said, don't pray. It's the only time I've ever had a message that said, don't pray with this person. But the Holy Spirit knew. We have to consider traditions, limitations. We have to, we have to think about special needs that people have. But all of these limitations do not mean that we should be diverted from seeking genuine reconciliation from people who we have something against or we think they have something against us. Genuine uh, reconciliation requires sincere prayer and sincere forgiveness and sincere confession for whatever we had to do with the situation. There are tragic results when direct communication is long avoided. Joab was able to negotiate a pardon from King David for his son Absalom, so Absalom could return to Jerusalem. However, Joab failed to ask for a meeting between David and his son. And in the process, many people lost their lives. Genuine relationships involve personal communication. Exodus 33.11 tells us that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. If this is ideal for a true friend, it's also ideal when that time when friendships are broken. Ever had a person who was a good friend and you communicated with that person often and then something happened? Some schism came between you and that person. Have you had that happen? And you ask yourself, how could they do such and such? How could they say such? A, I would have never thought that. We we have a lot of ways of of uh, assessing situations, and many times that friendship, which was so wonderful, is broken. And for years, people pass and repass, but do not ever. Mend that relationship until finally one or the other is convicted. I heard a story about a fence line. I wouldn't have known much about fence lines except that I did live in the country. Until recently, we lived on five acres and yes, there was a fence. There's a story about two friends. And there was an argument that ensued over a fence line. And the one person thought that the fence line was purposely put on his property closer to his home so that the other person would have more property. And so there was a back and forth kind of thing until finally that friendship was severed. Years later, as he thought about it, The man who was offended because he thought the fence was on his side went to his neighbor and he said, Brother, he said, I am very, very sorry that I allowed a few feet of a fence line to come between our friendship. He said, so I've come to tell you I don't care if I was right or wrong. If it truly is on my property, it's okay. I give you that property. And if it's not, and if you're the one in the wrong, then I forgive you, brother. And there was an unbelievable breaking down of emotions. And each person confessing to the other that often he had wanted to go. Often he had wanted to say something, but had waited And I can relate to that, can't you? Can't you relate to the fact that there are people you need to go to? You know you should. And yet there is this thing that holds back. There is another aspect to this. Seeking peace with an alienated brother or sister may not turn out the way you expected. They may not be willing to forgive. Or to actually, in any way, uh, accept your confession. It may not turn out that way. But the instruction doesn't say that it will positively bring about reconciliation. It says, if you win your brother, if your brother accepts the confession, then you have won him back. It may not be that way. It may be that the person who you go to has unresolved anger. And they may not be willing. The brother or sister may not be willing to forgive you for something that you have said. This is another frightening text to me. You've heard it said, do not murder. Anyone that murders will be subject to judgment. I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be made subject to judgment. I don't know about you, but I don't want to let bitterness and anger and unforgiveness stand between me and my God. It's not worth it. There is no wrong that has ever been done to me that I would trade for heaven and for eternity. None. You may not be able to change a person's mind, but something that you have been wrongly accused of is not going to break you. It's not going to ruin your life unless you allow it. Bad feelings can leave you spiritually and emotionally and physically marred. Would you agree with that? Bad feelings towards your brother or sister Living at peace, living at peace, may require that you clear up misunderstandings and that you remove obstacles that are in between you and your brother and reconciliation. There might have to be a repeated attempt. There might have to be great patience. At any rate, sometimes sins, as we started out with, can be overlooked and should be. It's not the kind of thing that we're admonished at every every offense to approach a person. But there are times it can't be overlooked. One, is it dishonoring to God? Is it dishonoring to God what has taken place? Can't be overlooked. Is it damaging the relationship? Is it hurting others? Or is it hurting the offender? Bible says do not hate your brother. Rebuke your neighbor frankly. So that you will not share in his guilt. Brothers if someone is caught in a sin. You are. You who are spiritual should restore him gently. Should restore him gently. I don't care what translation they have. It uses the term gentle or something akin to it. To go and restore. I'm afraid too many times well-meaning Christians or Christians who believe that they are God's sword, if you will have gone to a brother or sister and offended them so that they never come back never come back to the lord it says you should restore him gently watch yourself also so that you're not tempted my brother if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back remember this whoever turns a sinner from his or her error will save him from death and cover A multitude of sins. Cover a multitude of sins. If someone is eager to point out someone else's sin, that person is probably not the one to point out the sin. I've told this story so many times. My wife says, this one you can't tell anymore. I'm going to tell it anyway. In my ministry, my favorite thing was to win people. I loved giving Bible studies. I just loved it. I gave Bible studies to this couple, and they were neighbors of one of my church members, and they were in the world. They were more in the world than anybody I ever remember. The woman was a very pretty blonde, and the young man was a bouncer, if this will help you to understand the story, at Many of the bars in the city. And uh, the lady was a natural beauty. I never saw jewelry. I never saw makeup. Nothing. She was a natural beauty. We went through the Bible studies. And they, my wife and I talked about this as we go along. They made their decision, Mary Ruth, to be baptized. Mary Ruth, when you made your decision to be baptized, My wife and I were so excited. We jumped up and down. It was that way with Carol and Larry. We were so excited. Come the day of baptism. And here she comes. And she had been to church. Never saw anything. That day, she had on a ring that went literally two inches up and down one of her fingers. And that isn't all. It was turquoise. There's no way you could miss it. It was another one of those times I listened to God. I thought, I've got to tell her to take that horrible ring off. I've got to tell her. Why in the world would she wear that ring today? There's no way I'm going to be able to cover this thing up. When I baptize her, it's going to flash the whole congregation. And the Lord said, shut up. Shut up. And so I did. Praise God. I baptized her. And I had no longer than gotten to the door. And the people were coming out and the lady. There's one everywhere. I hope she's not present today. But if she is, I hope she recognizes herself or himself came immediately and said, how could you baptize that lady with that horrible ring? And again, I know God put these words in my mouth. I said, I think I did it for you. And She got it. She was very offended. She stomped away. Later, I was talking... Shortly after the baptism with this young couple, the woman who wore the horrible ring, and in the process, she said to me, this was such a special thing. This was a wonderful thing, my baptism. She said, you know, maybe you didn't notice I wore a ring that day. I didn't say anything. (laughs) There are times when silence is golden. She says, that ring was made for me by my husband. And he gave it to me at our engagement. And she says, I hate that ring. But she says, it has so much sentiment. And she said, that day when I woke up, I thought, I gave my life to Larry. I accepted him as my lifelong mate. And I thought, I'm giving my life to my Jesus. I'm accepting him for eternity. And she says, I thought, I'm going to wear my ring. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if I had done what I knew my congregation expected me to do? Because this is some years back. we become a little more less judgmental about jewelry and more concerned with people, I think. I really do. I think the church has grown. But had I approached this woman, she was the kind of person who very well may have said, then I don't need to be baptized if that's the kind of church I'm being baptized into. She would have done it, I do believe. But for the grace of God. And so I think to sum everything up, we would have to say, if each of us treated each other the way that we believe Jesus would have treated that individual, there would not be an empty seat in this church. I'm not talking about preaching. I'm talking about evangelistic meetings. I'm just saying the world is screaming for someone who exhibits true love. I pray that will be you and me. Lord, thank you for this congregation in Tallahassee. I pray that you will continue to use them. I ask that as we begin now this new year, that you will, Lord, give to us, each of us, discernment in dealing with our fellow brother and sister, those who have wronged us, those we have wronged. And I pray that you will give us the strength and the knowledge and the wisdom to do what we should to bring reconciliation between us and those people. In Jesus' name, amen.